All right, boys, just listen up for a sec. Can you hear that? Mm-hmm. How does that sound make you feel? Give me, give me some adjectives. It's nice. It's kind of like reassuring. Mm. Steady. That sounds like a very accurate kind of... I really like the sound of that mechanism. It's very precise, isn't it? Yeah. It also makes me feel like I, I should be somewhere that I'm not. Like I'm... <laughs> or something what have I forgotten? Kind of running late. Um, but it does sound very nice. I think all of that is very valid, boys. But let me tell you, this is the sound of a British-designed mechanical timepiece from the talented team at Marlow Watch Company, sponsors of this episode. And with Marlowe, each collection is influenced by a historical story of inspiring human endeavour. Now, I've spent some time at their HQ recently because, well, I'm curious about mechanical timekeeping and also how things work. And I can tell you that there is so much very pleasing attention to detail that goes into each and every watch design. Now, these guys are serious about their watches, and you can tell by looking at some of the watch reviews online. I mean, the words quality and value come up time and again. Visit MarlowWatchCompany.com to see for yourself. Marlow Watch Company, time well spent, which I also like to think could be said for this podcast. I got really frustrated with working in policymaking and in workplaces, which was so detached from people's real lives and the experience of it and I got quite cross so I tried to work out how you could actually fix it and that's what took me to the well-being thing. What's so nice about I think about the five ways to well-being is it's just it's only five and you can remember them and you can see them and they're very visual and very tangible. Well I thought we all bought thousands of pounds worth of equipment and sports gear and tops and all that sort of stuff during the pandemic that we all have no excuse not to do exercise now. I think for some people they did a lot of exercise but if you didn't do that it did make a big difference and I think that would be a long tail. Our general well-being, what is it and how do we improve it? We hear from an expert, the five key ways. Hello and welcome to Sketchplanations, the podcast. It was Quintus Horatius Flaccus, aka Horace, the leading Roman lyric poet during the time of Augustus who said... A picture is a poem without words. It was Charles Schultz, the American cartoonist and creator of Peanuts and Snoopy, who said, I never made a mistake in my life. I thought I did once, but I was wrong. And it was me who said all of that just now. I'm Rob Bell, and this would be a very different podcast if it weren't for my two canny companions, John O'Hay and Tom Pellero. Good evening, gents. How are we doing? All right. Yes, thank you. Yeah, very good. Quotes there. Interesting. Mm, nice quotes from the past. <laughs> uh, have you guys got any favourite quotes or any? Do you, do you tend to use quotes in public speaking? That kind of stuff. I do. Yeah, all the time. I feel actually, you know what? I think it's 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 one of the easiest ways to make yourself look smart is to borrow all the wisdom of others in their nice pithy quotes well, and just it. share that and uh and people think that that you're smart but you didn't you just heard it and repeated it you, do you i'm assuming because i know you well enough Jeremy, that you do give credit to the original author of the quotes when you show off your new smartness I, yeah i do i mean i did a phd remember and so ah. um, what are you saying it's all about the quotes. what are you saying that you are really smart 
<laughs> just, try, just trying to make sure that you get that in there. No, I was just, uh, the, the point is, um, the point is you become very rigorous about providing credit yeah. and and referencing for sources. Yes, um, yes, yes, yes. No, but you're, you're always, yeah. you're always so on it, always so on it on this podcast and also within your sketch relations as well. Uh, so it was very much tongue in cheek, but you know, no harm just to remind everyone that it's actually Dr. John O'Hay. <laughs> Yeah, and that's what we should be calling it. It should be the doctor. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, Tommy, um, do you do you use quotes quite a bit? I write a lot of quotes down, and then I forget them. And uh, so uh, when you when you sent out this reminder, it was like brilliant. I sort of start reading through all these quotes again, and there's so many. And as Jono has just said and reminded me, I should use quotes more often when when speaking. I've used them. I use them occasionally. I've been tempted to use them for the intro of the podcast on a number of occasions, but uh, <laughs> in, I can't believe I'm about to say this. In the past, I've thought, "Oh no, I can. No, I'll, I'll come up with something. I'll come up with something different this time, and I'll save quotes for when I really haven't got anything, and I'm really scraping the bottom of the barrel." That's not the case. I've just thought, "No, now's the time. Now's the time." <laughs> I did. I can't think of anything. Let's talk about quotes. I think the first time I used a quote that I remember was in. Uh, here we go, John. I'm right back at you. In my uh, head boy speech at the end of. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 Very good. Uh, so. You still remember it? Uh, yeah. It was. It was what my dad gave me actually. It was about uh, lies, damn lies, and statistics. So there are three types of lies: lies, damned lies, and statistics. It often gets credited to Mark Twain, but I think it's actually ex-British Prime Minister Benjamin Disraeli quote. To be fair, pretty much everything gets credited to Mark Twain. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's fairly standard. He said, a, he said a lot of things, but there's a lot of things. I think there was a, there was a whole book, which is like things Mark Twain didn't say, <laughs> which are very good. They're all very good things, but he didn't say them. He didn't say them, um, but lots of people think he did. Yeah. I, you know, I read one about statistics the other day, and I wrote it down. It's the most recent quote that I've saved, which is, it's easy to lie with statistics, and it's easier to lie without them, which is Frederick Mostella. There you go, along the same theme. Statisticians, eh? I wrote, I collected a couple because you asked me about quotes. I did. And so, I mean, I do have a lot of quotes which I've, I've sort of built into sketches because they, I mean, they're, they're kind of like wisdom in a really like nice pithy way, format. Yeah. Uh, one of them is not really a quote, but I like it. I think it was from a Nike ad, actually. It was uh, somewhere right now, someone busier than you is out running. Nice. Oh, that's Ooh. good. Oh, I yeah. do like oh, that. That's pretty hard. <laughs> I'm probably my favourite. It's a bit Go longer. On. I'm all ears. We could do an hour show. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, this is, is it. Because probably be a best show ever. When you do go, if you go through the collection of sketch relations, there are, I didn't look actually, but there's probably a good 20 that are based on quotes. Do you know what about that? I'd say. There might be. I haven't done that Nike ad, nor, nor have I done this one, Go which on. is from uh, Hugh Laurie. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, which is sort of unusual for Hugh Laurie, perhaps, but goes it's a terrible thing i think in life to wait until you're ready i have this feeling now that actually no one is ever ready to do anything there's almost no such thing as ready there's only now and you may as well do it now generally speaking now is as good a time as any that's lovely that's lovely from a lovely man isn't that good it's it's a good quote wisdom to live by i think that really is the thing is you can now with the internet you know you can just type in a theme and ask it for quotes, and it will come up with all sorts. 
right? It's um, it's very easy to it's very easy to find a quote about anything, really. <laughs> Just type from Mark, Mark Twain, Twain or, or otherwise, <laughs> or otherwise. Um, yeah. I'd, now, so I've got one that I actually don't know who the quote is from. Um, I, I think I listened to it in a, in a podcast, and I quite like this one that if you can't solve the problem, you're probably trying to solve the wrong problem. There's an example with seatbelts in the fact that Mercedes spent millions trying to develop better seatbelts in the car. And then someone else completely outside cars invented the airbag which is a way better way of protecting someone in a crash. And Mercedes and loads of others ended up having to license the airbag. It's really good. Yeah, it's good. I don't know if I mentioned, but my, my PhD... Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> go on. ...was on framing in design and framing in design problem. It's a really good example, actually. I wish I'd known that before, of reframing your problem there. It's really good. Well, I, I have one um, on the wall just in front of me here now, and it's... Um, is it next to your head boy certificate uh, <laughs> or, your, or your first class honours certificate? Didn't get first class, mate. Don't rub it in. Oh, God. <laughs> it's next to his marathon medals. Um, thank, thanks, Julie. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, no, so this one says, hold it, fellas, hold it, fellas. I'm afraid you're just too darn loud. And that is from Back to the Future. Um <laughs> So nice. there you go. I don't know. I, I, I'm not going to read anything into it. It's just good. Takes you back. Either you know it or you don't. But yes, I thought um, there might be some mileage in quotes because knowing you two, I feel that quotes are probably quite a large part of um, how you enjoy communicating at times. When are people going to start quoting you boys? When When's that going to happen? Are there any John O'Hay quotes in amongst the sketch? I'm trying to think. Or Rob I've Bell written ones. a lot of stuff. So if you, if you see anything you like... Feel free to quote me. Yeah. But do credit John O'Hay. <laughs> Just make sure you credit. Please, please do. Absolutely. All right, then. Um, well, listen, to motivate us into this week's episode, I'd like to end on one final quote. It's a quote from British superstar actress Kira Knightley. And one I think will probably resonate with you two chaps and, and a lot of people listening as well. Um, she said, It's not every day you get to do a pirate movie. You might as well go for it. Thanks, Kira. So let's batten down the hatches, splice the main brace and set sail. Here's the podcast. This week, we've selected the sketch entitled Five Ways to Wellbeing. And it's based on a large amount of research that's been condensed into a very simple framework to try and improve mental capacity and mental well-being. It was developed by a UK-based think tank called the New Economics Foundation. And Jono's sketch for this framework, in my view anyway, beautifully depicts those five ways to well-being in one very engaging scene. And you should be able to see that sketch on your screens now for this episode. But if not, you can check it out at sketchplanations.com. And the link for that is included in this episode description. Whilst I'm at it, I'll bang in a bit more podcast admin to say a huge thank you once again for all your correspondence on last week's quickfire episode. We'll be going through some of your messages as usual at the very end of this podcast. And if you'd like to get in touch about the podcast generally or any of the topics we've covered so far, you can email us. Tommy, hello at sketchplanations.com. Right, now this episode is, well, it's a first for us because this week we've invited an expert guest to come and contribute to our discussion. 
Nancy Hay is currently the Executive Director for the What Works Centre for Wellbeing, the UK's national body for wellbeing evidence and practice, aiming to understand what governments, business, communities and people can do to improve wellbeing. Prior to that, she's worked in the UK civil service for nine different departments, a lot of that integrating well-being into public policy. And in her spare time, Nancy is also Jono's sister. Nancy, <laughs> hello. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's brilliant to be here chatting to you guys again. Uh, you, you know all of us, right? You know, we've all met and hung out loads of times over the years. Just yeah, I have. Once or twice. Yeah. <laughs> but we've never I don't I've never had an online chat with you Nancy so you know this is this is different yeah it is and actually I don't think I've seen Tom for years so it's fantastic it to has been a very long time so usually I throw to Jono at this point to explain what this week's sketch is all about but I think we'll we'll come back to that in a minute before we get into the detail of the sketch and the five ways to well-being can we first talk a little bit about well-being generally and and where your obvious passion for it and your passion for integrating it as far and as wide as possible, where, where that comes from. So um, I got really frustrated with working in policymaking and in workplaces, which was so detached from people's real lives and the experience of it. And I got quite cross. So I tried to work out how you could actually fix it. And that's what took me to the wellbeing thing. But also so much of the, the well-being thing is often about courses or someone who wants to train you in doing stuff. And I was like, this is great, really interesting. But what, how do you make that more common in everyday life? How do you make it a thing that people do? And that it ha- how do we build what it is that we want to happen, not just the things that just getting rid of the things that we don't want to happen? So the well-being thing is about the personal well-being bit is like feeling good and functioning well uh, and it's made up of the sort of yourself and all the things that are in you both mentally and physically and what you've like the context you're in and the external circumstances you're in and they interact with each other and so it can feel quite complicated it can feel like everything and nothing but there are some real practical things and I really wanted to make that practical there's also a whole national context to it as well which is how we're doing as individuals, communities, and as a nation, and how sustainable that is for the future. And that's like taking it to a whole other level. But we're talking about personal well-being today. We are. We are. And that's, that's a really good differentiation, I think, Nancy. And I think where my mind has led is how individual well-being does contribute nationally, possibly even globally as well. Yeah, definitely. You can't you're not an island you are interconnected uh, and that's what makes it quite confusing like where do you start yeah all, like when you start pulling one bit of string it's all connected so trying to make that practical and a sensible and a, a, a conversation it's kind of always yes and with well-being which is quite a frustrating but you can still make it practical and actionable can i just say that i love that we have my sister on on the podcast and when we were talking about doing the sketch this five ways to well-being it's so cool that the most qualified and knowledgeable person that we could think of to talk about well-being happens to be my sister and so hopefully you can see you can see that already it's really cool it's really nice to chat to someone who really knows what they're talking about you know this is not what we talk about all the time in family (laughs) gatherings either did you bring you know did you bring the sausages or something Okay, so let, let's focus there. That's, that's Jono's voice back in. Let's focus on the sketch for a minute, Jono. Uh, what was it about this, the, the framework of the five ways to well-being that caught your attention? Why, why were you inspired to, to do this sketch? 
I'm sure, Nancy, I'm sure you shared this framework with me, um, either directly for a sketch or just in general, um, like with the family. And it's just such a lovely, clear framework. I feel like it's easy to have well-being as this sort of vague thing, which is quite hard to put your finger on. And what's so nice about, I think, about the five ways to well-being is it's just, it's only five and you can remember them and you can see them they're very visual and very tangible the things that the connect be active take notice keep learning give as i'm sure we'll get to and i remember thinking um i've done some sketches where you know you could do five separate things but i just thought it might be nice to see you know could you could you put all of this in one in just one visual actually this is i haven't done many like this where it's a it's a bigger sketch than normal and i've just tried to sort of put it all in there at once and it's quite nice and like it doesn't really have any writing does it it's like you know just like let the picture do the talking this is all you need five ways to build you can go read the thing but you don't need to read the thing because you can kind of see it all there that was the idea i think i think it's brilliant and um for those who are looking at it you know you'll see that it's this scene in a park and there's lots of lovely things going on yeah so before we get into the those five different ways this was all based on quite an extensive amount of research wasn't it Nancy I think I think that's quite important to to mention before we get into it yeah it, it so it sounds really simple and although it's not a direct line from the research it is built entirely on this government office for science report in 2008 uh, and it's a foresight report onto mental capital and these reports um, are ways of bringing together knowledge of the foresight, so the cutting edge of where the science was in 2008. Um, and this one was a, a, I mean, there's a whole series of them, but this particular one in 2008 was a massive landmark product that everybody was so inspired by. And the five ways to wellbeing came out of that as a way of describing practical actions, the things that you could do as a result of it. And I think if anything, the, the evidence for these five ways has increased since 2008, each of them individually and more broadly around mental capital. It's an area that was such a, a part of the foresight. It's absolutely grown globally. It's really I can see that. field to be in. Yep. Jono's sketches are often very good, but this is a really sort of, this could easily be a kind of government international advertising campaign poster. And it's certainly the kind of thing you should have up on your wall um, to, to remind you of the, of the different areas. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you about before we got into it, Tommy, about how conscious you are as the leader of a group of people within your company. How easy is it to be conscious of your team's well-being day to day? So possibly one of the biggest things as a, that leaders often forget, I think, and certainly I do, is how much of an effect your personal well-being can have on everybody else. Mm. Uh, yeah. And how it's really, really important to put yourself in a good in a good place when you're when you're a leader, and if and if you're not, to get yourself back in a good place, or just uh, not allow that to 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 percolate through. And and even if you sort of try and hide it, often it's not uh, possible to to hide. All right, well let's um, let's dig down into the five ways of well-being, shall we? Uh, number one. <laughs> so I should be get that's that's start at number five. Can you start at five? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the first theme is connect, where we're advised to proactively connect with the people around us, our family, uh, our friends, our colleagues, or neighbours. Um, which, on the face of it, I guess seems a very very sensible and social thing to do. But what are the specific 
positive effects of connecting with others for our general well-being, Nancy? It, it actually matters at a sort of really physical level to our body. So we sort of uh, we we notice uh, other people, but it matters because if you look at the real building blocks of mental well-being, which is what we're talking about here, quite specifically, mental well-being, yep. you've got. Um, feeling positively about yourself and feeling cheerful so literally feeling happy um and both of those key components are driven by feeling close to other people and so mm. not only does it matter in and of itself it's a massive driver of everything else whether that's at work family friends neighbors all of it matters uh, i think the other thing is to say is that hell can also be other people right so some of the biggest challenges we get are through our connections and so um, you need to top these up they really matter i was thinking of this because it's easy to think of connect like you have to be with loads of people but it's not necessarily that right i was thinking about like introverts and extroverts and where Mm. where you how you recharge and you can recharge just as much with a, a really good conversation with a close friend as other people might recharge going to a party or going to a bar right and, and seeing lots of people it, it, that's true but there's different levels so there's sort of your close and immediate friends and some of us get more than that friends. and that meaningful relationships really matter for caring about other people and then caring about you then there's the looser connections that you have so sort of the nod to the neighbor as you put the bins out mm. or um the, the colleague you just sort of pass at sort of the, the coffee point as well so those sort of looser social connections so every moment small positive social interaction builds relationship builds trust and they all matter and you need you obviously because you don't notice the positive things as much as you notice the negative things you really need to top up these positive social connections and that builds trust it builds relationship and we need that bigger level of trust at a societal level as a community level as well so and it's the thing that you know during the pandemic it's the thing that kept us going that sort of peer support and the helping other people yeah. that sort of connection happened. the other one was really surprising was the radio so radio was a really positive support of social connection well, i love the podcast actually because that was a way of connecting and feeling connected to other people um that was totally possible to do whilst we were isolated and for some people it's the it's a core bit of how they connect with the world every day it's very much that individual want and need for for connection isn't it and we're all different in that sense and i guess there's no set rule in in terms of how much and how deep a connection you need to have that chatting in the community context matters even if you're really lonely it can protect you from feeling if you're feeling lonely you haven't got those personal connections those loose connections really help protect and buffer you from that what's interesting is it in the uk we're quite low on connect um, particularly for 25 to 64 year olds we're not so good at it so as part of the research here we've got comparisons with the uk and other countries globally across or europe, in europe yeah. across europe okay yeah so what was that we're quite low in the uk on connect so we're not generally as good at con- yeah generally and particularly mm. uh between the ages of 25 and 64 and it's not particularly necessarily because we're working more than other people although that is true. So there is something British here <laughs> about Connect that we're not quite doing. We can improve. I, d- I don't know if this fits into Connect, but I was thinking about watching sports and yeah. whether that is a part of it. But like, There's a few bits of it. Like One is you know, going to a, a stadium and just being with 10,000 other people with the same sort of purpose, but also like the people that you go with, the chat before the game, all that stuff. I was think- wondering, yeah, whether, whether watching sports plays a big part in Connect in some way. 
Yeah, I really love these ones. So it's all moments of positive social connection. And that's exactly what happens when you're doing something enjoyable together. So uh, it's that little comment to the guy that you always see when you mm-hmm. go to the football, like the little nods when you sort of see, oh, God, they brought that player on again or whatever. Those sort of connections that you have throughout it. So, yeah, those shared, interested, fun, ideally, activities really do make a difference. And actually, the other really clever thing about these sorts of communities is that often there can be people who are quite different from yourself. Uh, and that yeah. sort of, So you start to get to know somebody in a very different context. Maybe you support the same team. Or, but but actually you've built that relationship even when you haven't necessarily got a particular maybe you work in completely different industries or you don't work at all or uh, and those connections can come particularly intergenerationally for example one area where i think i get that is with my physical neighbors you know we just happen to live in the on the same street and it's really lovely completely different jobs completely different ages it's brilliant i love it and and there's the sense of community and you're all moaning about you know the same stuff that the council's not doing for you all the weather, yeah, it's classic. All the weather, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned the pandemic, Nancy, and I feel like of all of these, perhaps Connect might have been affected the most. There was stuff going on with our neighbours here, which was great for us, and we had a family, which, but not everybody, like colleagues at work, it was just them for two years in a room with some housemates they didn't really know very well, you know. Mm-hmm. I was just wondering, yeah, how the, how the pandemic affected that. Yeah, so it's a really interesting one. So it did weird stuff. One of the biggest coping mechanisms was connecting with family and friends uh, online and in person. Um, and you'll notice that when you had meetings or something online during the pandemic, you'd spend half the meeting just chatting through the experience of the pandemic. And you suddenly were online all the time in those meetings and, and sort of processing it. And that's that version of connection that we all had. So it, it didn't affect loneliness, certainly not as immediately as I expected it to. But we do now have probably half a million more people who are chronically lonely in the UK as a result of the pandemic. So this is people who say they're often or always lonely. And that is a real worry because if it becomes entrenched, there are other knock-on effects um, to health and, and work and other things as well. And the sort of things you start, this is really great sort of thinking on friendship about how long how, how long it takes, sort of over nine months to rebuild, move from acquaintance to friends and back again. And so if you think about it, we probably moved a lot of things. We got, we got to know some people really closely and then a whole load of friends sort of drifted out into that acquaintance section. And how do we bring them back again uh, is the challenge. It just takes time and, and repeated meetings. Yeah, repeated connections. Yeah. Great. OK, um, let's move on to number two, which was be active, which in my mind, at least, is probably <laughs> the most well known, at least the most well talked about aspect of mental well-being, I'd say, is how strong that tie is to your, your physical well-being. Is that what we're talking about here? Yeah, we are. And it's interesting that you say it's obvious. So men are more likely to participate in this one than women. (laughs) Women are are more likely to connect and give and men are more likely to be active. And that's quite a typical pattern that we see. Um, And also one of the things I think this has slipped off the radar a bit in terms of mental well-being recently. People think of the things that really want for their future as a job and money and, and, and mental health. And they often forget about this physical health one and physical activity. And it's one of the big impacts of the pandemic, actually, is the, the big, big, big drop in, in physical activity. But um, it is the one that often people equate most with wellness and, and well-being. Yes. Something that we did was uh, an initiative from a really good friend of ours who basically said, look, we don't see each other as much as we 
used to and as much as we'd like to and none of us are working out as much as we mean to and should do so let's get together and work out together and so we started a, a club where we meet up we met up in a park every tuesday night and it went on for 10 years mm. actually 10 years pretty much every tuesday night it was the pandemic that finally finally killed it yeah um and it was amazing because genuinely it was amazing. And, and, and the format was really simple. So I think, I think everybody, if you're th wondering about this and you have those same problems, you should try this. The format is that you just rotate who, who leads the workout session. So if you've got six people, you do one every six weeks. And what it meant was that we saw some of our best friends once a week, every week for yeah. nearly 10 years. And we stayed in shape. And I just feel like... It, it was such a it was such a mega win and and it's such a simple format that anybody can do and some of the most unique exercises you will ever <laughs> ever see there's a lot or, of creativity involved, here. there's a there? lot of creativity yeah. involved rob i seem to remember you brought almost an entire piano once just one of the most incredible <laughs> games so i mean not all of them were actually that good for your physical well-being there's <laughs> um, one with eggs I remember. at least we were connecting as well yeah. at the same time. Um, having fun yeah, exactly, exactly. Sort of stuff. absolutely and is actually it... just getting together with other people is a great idea for exercise outdoors with other people always a winner it does um, matter that you enjoy it actually as well so yeah. a lot of the benefit of exercise is because you enjoy it and so that's great for those that enjoy it uh, and they also get these other benefits for mental and physical health and the social health that you've described as well, sort of confidence, happiness, relaxation, mm. all those sorts of things. But for those of you who don't like exercise, yeah. it is what we would call an experience good. So you need a nudge towards it uh, and choosing something that you, finding something you like and that you do matters more than anything else. So any is better than none in terms of physical exercise. Nancy, you mentioned something there which confused me, that people are not doing as much exercise post-pandemic. But I thought we all bought thousands of pounds worth of equipment and sports gear and tops and all that sort of stuff during the pandemic that we all have no excuse not to do exercise now. I think for some people, they did a lot of exercise and it was one of the things. I mean, gardening actually was one of the weirdly popular, mm. very effective things during the pandemic. But if you didn't do that and a lot of people didn't do that because it wasn't no longer part of their daily life it did make a big difference and i think that would be a long tail from the pandemic yes well, one yeah. of the things i remember really struck by um particularly mostly in vietnam was this national culture of like getting together at like 5 a.m in the morning on a street corner and doing tai chi or or equivalent and it was just fabulous they'd just be and literally, it was a street corner. There'd be like one person who's sort of leading the exercises and, and people would just pop up and, and stand wherever that they could see the person and just be following these exercises. I just thought it was a lovely thing. And everybody was up early, just getting a little bit of exercise, a little bit of calm meditation. You're doing this with people. It just seemed like a fabulous thing. Which, I don't know, yeah. in, the U in the UK, was it? You, you had to be doing a boot camp and doing 50 mm. burpees instead you know it's it such a different thing to being doing some quiet mindful tai chi together i think the weather affects it as well someone suggested the best way to get people to exercise is to put a roof on the uk mm. <laughs> <laughs> it works at wimbledon it would make a difference yeah, yeah. so we're talking here about um our physical health having a positive effect on our, our mental well-being does it work the other way around is that reciprocal as well probably Yes. So when you do exercise, you feel happier and more purposeful at the time you do it and just after. 
and then it contributes to your physical health and that physical health is one of the biggest drivers of overall life satisfaction it's the thing that also helps us be resilient to life events i think one of the challenges is is that when people think of well-being or mental health as only being about physical fitness or that's the only way they get their mental Mm. well-being then you've got a challenge there's other things that also matter too Uh, and there can be some downsides of physical activity sort of injury perfectionism pressure to perform um, um and other types of things as well but on balance being physical active is 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 such a good thing i think if it was a pill they'd prescribe it well let's get on to um number three in the five ways to well-being which is take notice and now whereas i said in my mind alone number two about uh, being active was probably the most obvious this was probably the least obvious to me but it's probably the one that i I like the most because the thought of being more conscious to do it more often, I'm getting, I get excited about that, I think. But it, but it does feel slightly less tangible than the others, maybe. Yeah, and I think this is a really interesting one. I think the evidence in, in many ways has probably grown more in this area than some of the others over the last what, 15 years. And so take notice was often quite a sort of shorthand for mindfulness, possibly. So sort of awareness and attention, paying attention to your surroundings. There is quite a lot of science of attention now. And in fact, our attention is at a premium and it's used in lots of different ways. But it's partly about um, sort of a noticing and appreciating what's around you. That thing I said about sort of, we, uh, we notice the negative things more than the positive things. Yep. We sort of actively need to notice the positive things. Things like beauty, things like anything that's of interest is then meaningful to you. Um, sort of enjoying the moment, really taking time to uh, to notice it and being part of that something bigger than yourself. So there's a whole load of things in that uh, take notice bucket. But you're right to say that it isn't the most obvious. So we're quite low on this in the UK, particularly compared to, say, France and Germany, for example. I'm very interested by the participation in five ways by age of category, so showing that take notice, you're kind of at your lowest in your kind of early 40s, late 30s, and that it then sort of starts really shooting up um, the graph. And having been one of the lowest, when you get to sort of plus 65, it's one of the it's sort of um, the highest. Um, one of the places we lived in the in the States was a little block with four small apartments. And the one above us, there was a little old lady who'd lived there for 30, 40 years. And we lived on this, uh, it was a normal street, normal houses all the way down. And they had lovely trees, like maples, that in the fall, the leaves would turn a lovely colour. And it's so often, mm. we'd it's be coming back and busy day whatever and there's lots of traffic around if everybody's just got back from their commute and she'd just be like going super slowly because she was old and she'd be like bending down and she'd be picking up one of these leaves and and they they turned beautiful like burgundies and oranges and yellows in in the fall and she, and you'd see she just have like three leaves in the hand and you, i don't know she might have taken like 30 minutes to walk the the 20 meters or something but she had this beautiful collection of leaves it struck me as such an example of like taking notice i'm I'm assuming there's a certain amount of taking note johnny within the artwork that you do within the illustrations the sketches yeah it's a beautiful facet of doing art is that it forces you to notice stuff really carefully and you and you you know you look at the wall and there's like two different shades of blue and you're like okay could i pick out that shade of blue and it's funny how like with perspective that that is actually the same size Mm. as that is it if i really really do it and the shadow there is dark i would have done it gray but it's actually dark green 
So yeah, mm. ab- absolutely. I think it's, is that it's is that something that comes up, Nancy, and along under this this heading, um, kind of art being creative using your hands. Yeah, so we look at um, creativity and culture and arts. And actually, one of the reasons I'm on the board of what's called the National Centre for Creative Health uh, for exactly this reason. So uh, it's a way to to do all of what Jono has described in a, a, not just doing a course or learning about how to be well, actually doing it in practice. And Mm. it's very common um, way of uh, dealing with people intervention of people with mental illness because it's a happy thing to do as well usually um so yes arts are a fantastic way to take notice uh, and and actually it takes me to the children's one slightly which is in the children's one they have um be creative and play instead of give and uh, there's no reason why that isn't true of adults or vice versa it's just that you needed five ways to well-being that were on, the, on your on your hand right but um, be creative and play is another way of describing some of these things that that, that happen that are so human and really, really good for our mental health. So at, at the base of, of this, is some of it about getting out, out of what I've heard called as self mode? I think it can sometimes get you out of your head if that's kind of like sort of yeah. if you're ruminating or, or, or really overthinking something it does take you back and connect you with the real world. And actually, it's one of the reasons why I, when I'm doing art or something, I like to actually, don't like to do it on the computer because I spend all my day on there. I like to do it physically. Like making things with your hands and doing something. I think, I think you do wood work type things. That type of thing is, is a really good way to get you out of your head and into mm. your body. But I think one of the things actually, Tom probably just touched on this really, that when you're, like, if you're a two-year-old and you're totally absorbed in your world, it can take you four times as long to get to where you need to be because you're spotting every bug and every leaf and that is totally in the moment and totally in self mode but it is the opposite of being connected to what else needs to happen in the world so there's probably two ways of thinking about that yeah there's a friend of mine who um i had a chat with him not too long ago actually and he was saying that um amongst his friends those who were probably the the least happy were typically the people who were less busy than he was because he's a very happy chappy and that maybe they had too much time on their hands to be thinking about themselves and their own lives so yeah being in 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 their own heads a bit too much so it's I want- a wonderful optimal time use stuff as well if you read happier hour by castle palms she's looked at the american time use data and it's like a peak busyness and a peak uh, leisure time that is around as well so yeah being too busy is not good obviously but being too unbusy is also not good as well as with everything is a bit of a balance isn't there <laughs> just point out Robert, i thought it was really interesting that you sometimes might need a prompt to take notice and that this might not be as completely yeah. obvious and i think one of my favorite sketches is a quote which is from kurt vonnegut it's actually from his from his uncle but it's, he quoted a lot in some of the speeches he did which was just to notice when you're happy and he says if you're in a nice moment and you're just looking around and you're like this is really nice just stop everybody and say out loud if this isn't nice i don't know what is and i think that is that is taking notice and as you said we we notice the negative bits more than the positive and that's actually to an explicit like reminder and instruction to go you know what when things are really good right now we should we should take notice yeah so i wonder if there are ways to prompt ourselves to take notice more if it's not something that we consciously do yeah, there's lots of cool little ways to do this. I think there's apps that help you do it and all sorts of things you can build it into your day. So Paul Dolan's Happiness by Design is a way of thinking about how you can build this into your day so you just notice it more. Um, so it just happens naturally. 
Lovely, good. Well, let's keep moving and get on to the fourth, which is keep learning. I mean, that's a pretty obvious one, that, isn't it? Uh, and Jonathan, so you, you mentioned it in the sketch. I think, have you got a couple of things about keep learning here? Or is it just the, the guy doing a painting that you've used to uh, represent I've got, I've keep learning? Somebody comfortably sat on a bench reading a book. Okay, good. Also learning. So I was wondering how this relates to uh, our kind of formal education system. And if, if there's a tendency for people's propensity to keep learning dropping off the further away they get from that formal education that we all get at the beginning of our lives yeah it's really interesting i think um, in the workplace um very often it, there is quite good evidence that older workers are overlooked for learning or, mm. or or don't feel that there is capacity to develop so i think there is something sort of institutional about it we think we've done our learning now this is our career then we sort of stop and people get stuck actually mm. and then they need to sort of how do they branch out and so always being able to find something interesting and that you can learn is is, is a really good skill uh for life um it's called metacognition but learning i love and there's, there's other sketches that relate to this concept actually that's what it's trying to get at here is this idea of flow of mastery of having interest in something and meaning and learning doesn't always actually feel good actually at the time it can mm. be quite hard again that types of fun podcast here is probably quite relevant so it can that learning pit in the middle i think is also true so learning how to sort of take how how learning how to learn is a skill and often mm. smart people don't always come out with that if you've always found it easy to learn if you always found it easy to knock out the exams without having to put a huge amount of effort in, well done you. But actually that can make you avoid learning because it doesn't feel very nice when you've got to try a bit hard. Oh, wow, so, yeah. Um, yeah, this one is, this is great. This one, this is about having interest in stuff and sort of flow and mastery. Computer games are like completely designed to be perfect at getting you flowing. Okay. So they sort of up the ante. So it's not too difficult at the beginning and it kind of gradually gets hard. Is that because that's often the thing about sort of learning as you get older, like I'd love to learn French. I'd love to learn to play the guitar. I'd love to learn to play the piano. For and it's just that learning takes a huge amount of time and it's not easy on many of these sort of things. Yeah, I think this is one of the reasons why some companies have like a 10% learning time for yourself, because they realise that that gives you sort of autonomy, control, interest, and it keeps you moving, moving. And actually, um, we do see a quite a big boost on sort of culture and leisure learning, particularly for those who've got particularly low well-being. Culture and leisure learning can be really, really impactful, as well as the workplace learning, too. What's, uh, what's well, culture but... and leisure learning? So it, would culture be like languages, cooking art basically anything that isn't work all right okay okay <laughs> um, culture, we, we, we understand it really broadly but something that is interesting to you that is i mean like arts or all of these sorts of things but the internet is just absolutely brilliant at this right it's uh, you can find an expert or learn from an expert on so many different people and it has huge potential it's learning that the joy is in the process as well yeah. uh and so um and i've deliberately tried to teach myself art and with the entire goal of not being actually any particularly good at it but just to enjoy it um mm. uh, and always having something at work that i'm learning about um whether that's a concept i need to understand a bit more or something like that so that sense of achievement and learning they are related but they are quite different when it comes to uh, mental well-being it's like the holiday part of the joy of booking a holiday mm -hmm. is in the the build up to it the researching about the place and a lot and what happened in the pandemic is we kind of couldn't do that so it was like a collective sense of anhedonia which is this loss of happiness that we're looking forward to because you couldn't trust that it was going to happen 
um, as well. So you're learning to enjoy the process and not always being happy because it's not always, there's lots yeah. of positive emotions and they're not all about, yay, brilliant. Some yeah. of them are like, oh, this is interesting. Oh God, this is hard. Oh wow, okay, I found my way through that curiosity. But how how do you go about kind of, because you understand this stuff, right? And you've been aware of it for a long time. <laughs> So I try to structure my exercise, but I don't try to kind of book in my learning time. And I definitely book in seeing friends. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And actually, I think this is quite interesting. So in midlife, your time is quite compressed. You're, you're yes. working, you've got family, all those sorts of things. So, and that's one of the reasons for the midlife crisis is you're doing lots of things you have to do and not necessarily all the fun things. And sometimes the things like your fitness or your... Um, your learning can drop off as a result um how do i structure in learning at work everybody has a learning goal um that they're trying to improve on that quarter um and i have one for the year and then we all do learning together as a team once a month people are sharing learning that they've done with the team and that's particularly effective because you uh, that consolidates your learning when you explain it to somebody else um, that's really really helpful ways of learning yeah johnny i won't ask you about you you are just learning about eight or nine different things i just i'm still stuck on the um the video games are so good and you're absolutely right and i just like if nintendo made piano their game it would be so much more fun to learn the piano and people wouldn't get started if nintendo did tennis courts you'd like you wouldn't have you know five-year-olds trying to whack the ball and the other side and the ball's too hard and the net's too high and the racket's too heavy it would all just be perfect and fun and you'd be on level three mm. and then level four and yeah i know uh, i've long wanted to bring out a range of um sports sort of equipment that makes games into like computer games you're like on a tennis court why aren't there things that like when you hit it it buzzes or it flashes or it you know counts up your score you know, just stuff that makes sports more fun <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, let's move on to the fifth and final way to well-being, which is, we've mentioned it a couple of times, give. Pure and simply, is this altruism? Yeah, frankly, it's about helping other people. And, and, and literally thinking about it as helping is probably the best way to think about it, really. If you think about two of the things that really stand out for high well-being places and societies and communities and, and workplaces is peer support and people help each other. Uh, and so this is a really good one. Interestingly... Um, it has been dropped by some frameworks. So on an NHS one I saw recently had be active, get good sleep, learn new skills, connect with new people and not give. And that was because some of the feedback they had from, from the staff was that women tend to give and connect more than men. Uh, and some people overgive would be what I would mm. say. Um, and, and they tend not to look after their own uh, well-being. Yeah. But generally, okay. giving and helping is a good thing and it feels good to do and it is good for the rest of the community as well. Would we interpret this that everybody has that capacity to give and it doesn't, I mean, it definitely doesn't matter about your financial status or even how busy you are. Everybody has that capacity. I think it's one of the things that's easiest to do in a workplace or somewhere else. So if you're new, you, you can be part of it immediately if you can help. And so it's a great work skill and a great thing to encourage in the workplace. But generally, um, help around the house, help your team. And the more formal aspects of that are things like volunteering, yep. about being on a board. There's loads of more formal ones as well. It's so nice, the small stuff here as well. And actually, I think like giving tends to help the giver as much as the receiver in many times and there's a to go back to the quotes there's a really nice quote i found which is 
you can always, always give something, even if it's only kindness, which is from Anne Frank. We had we had a really good friend when he come around our, our house for like we'd invite him for a dinner or something, and he would bring like a really nice peach he got at the grocer's on the way over. And he'd be like, here's this lovely peach. And it was such a nice, such a lovely thing because you take notice of this lovely peach. You're connecting with a friend. And, and you know, he didn't he didn't spend a fortune or anything. He just bought a peach, but it was lovely and we all shared it together, you know. So I think it's really nice. The giving is doesn't have to be this big thing. Did you invite him back? That would interest. Yeah, who is this guy? I'm yeah. going to around my house. <laughs> and he brought different fruit that was Love in peaches. season. It was great. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> There's potentially um, the flip side of giving um, is obligation, um, uh, yeah. where you feel you have to and it can feel like a burden. And you can also feel obliged towards somebody else as well. So someone's yeah. giving you something you feel about. And that can cause tricky bits. But on balance, giving and helping is generally a good thing for most people. Yeah. It's quite yeah. a tricky one. This is quite nuanced. But basically helping out and caring about something that's bigger than yourself and, and, and helping make that happen is a really positive thing. Your friends that organise that, that the, the, the sports group that you did every week, organizing that is a giving thing that you're doing for the collective and uh, endeavor so it's kind of a, an active citizenship i suppose uh something bigger than yourself this is definitely yeah. one that gets you out of self mode <laughs> yeah there are some recurring themes through this though aren't there and i guess that's that's the point of it yeah they should be mutually enforcing yeah so i love the sketch actually because it's all set in the park yeah. and actually that is one of the ways that if you look at places that have more equal well-being in across the uk they often have high engagement with their green space uh, and that is why, because there are those things that are happening in huh. that space. So, uh, Nancy, we've touched on this a couple of times um, talking through this, but are, are there general stats that come out of the research as to how the UK compares to other European nations in, uh, in our ability to manage our well-being? So we do okay compared to lots of nations. We're definitely top third of the table um, in many areas. Um, and that's partly because the, the, the context we live in is pretty good. Um, our national stats have some brilliant ones on sort of belonging and trust and, and getting on with other people as well and happy marriages and things like that. Um, but uh, we're, we're probably not top of the league when it comes across, if you're comparing across Europe. Um, but we're probably doing better than many American states, but not on all of them uh, as well. Um, but I think that's something I'd love to look into. There's a new module of the European Social Survey. That's what excites me and keeps me learning, that curiosity. I'd love to dive into that a bit more. <laughs> and, by, and by doing that, it's not just about comparing us, right? It's about learning, seeing what we can take from other nations and how, how they manage to, to do so well in certain aspects. Yeah, so this for example is that, and I've given a few as I talked through, but like, in the UK, uh, women, um, people with children or people who look over the house are a lot less likely to take notice than in other parts of Europe. And that's really interesting to me because young women's mental health is also really, really bad at the moment <laughs> um, and going the wrong direction. So there is there's something going on there that we haven't quite got right. So the bit mm. I'm interested in is, yes, obviously understanding this, but then I'm really interested in understanding what organisations in business, charities and government can do to improve lives as well as just making this available generally so that people can make great choices delving into all of these these five different ways has has definitely clarified a lot for me because as we as we talked about at the beginning you know well-being can be so large so to have it broken down into these ways and of course there are other aspects that build in but to have five these five key 
um, elements to think about is um, it's really helpful. I just find them really practical. I can remember them on my fingers and yeah. they're really good. I think the one that's really missing that people mention most to me is sleep. Um, that's interesting. But obviously exercise and being active helps with sleep as well. Yeah. <laughs> is that, I, is that I can see Jono's face. There's a sketch on that. <laughs> no, no, I was, I was just thinking when it is getting rather late. Now, Nancy, what what are you working on at the moment? Anything interesting that we might see in in our public domain? The UK has just revised its indicators of uh, its UK measures of national wellbeing have just been revised and updated for the like the indicators change for the first time in over ten years. So that came out last Wednesday. Oh right. Um, yeah, and we're about to start looking at creativity coming up as well. That's quite exciting. But, um, yeah, there's loads happening. Uh, lots on loneliness as well. Hopefully tackling that, that loneliness, particularly those 500,000 extra people who are feeling more chronically lonely than before the pandemic. Mm. Nancy, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a real pleasure having you on. And, um, John, I'm sure it's really nice for you as well to have uh, been let off from being the relative expert on the podcast. I, know, you know, I was going to say, like, it's really nice to have the chance to hear from you on a pr- professional basis. <laughs> you absolutely have an answer to every question. I've got like, I've got like 50 more things we could talk about, which obviously yeah. we won't because it's gone on, it's gone on really long and it's getting late, but it's so nice to, to hear all this knowledge and to share it and to, to be working on such a great mission Finally, listeners, if you'd like to explore more of the work that Nancy and her colleagues are involved in, you can head to whatworkswellbeing.org. Don't forget, we'll be going through your correspondence from the last week in just a tick. But otherwise, that's us for this week's topic, the five ways to well-being. And believe me, there are thousands of different well-being quotes I could use to steer us out of this episode. But I'm pretty sure you've all seen the majority of them already posted over the top of tranquil, faded seascapes on social media. So instead, I'll just say, go well, stay well. Cheers. Goodbye. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right, my lovelies, just me again to go through the post bag this week. Uh, I'm not going to do it on that accent. That's just silly. What were we on? Last week was our quickfire round on words and language and grammar, all that kind of stuff. There was, there was a whole host of different things in there, but words seemed like a, a fairly appropriate word to uh, describe what we're going to be talking about. Anyway, a few messages from you all to go through. Um, So we've had a message from Susan on Twitter who says, I am an amateur writer. Now this refers to the discussion we had about Jono's sketch explaining the difference between amateur and professional, but amateur in the true meaning of the word, which I really, really enjoyed understanding that. So Susan is an amateur writer, a lover of writing. Uh, but she goes on to say, and I'm with you, Rob. It's the eyes. It's the eyes. <laughs> Which refers to the chat I had with Tommy trying to explain how I am going to remember now the difference between compliment with an I and compliment with an E. It's all in the eyes. And a few people have talked to me about that conversation I had with them. It still makes me laugh. Um, moving on, we've had a couple of messages about the chat we had covering pleonasms. So we had an email from Sally who says, one of my worsties is two twins instead of a set of twins. Two twins equals four people. I agree. Or just twins, you know, twins is two people. A pair of twins, that again is four people. I know what you mean, Sally. And finally, a message from Rich uh, saying another one that 
Oh, another one that, I'm going to rephrase what Rich says. Another one that annoys me is forward planning. It's just planning. Now, I'm aware that I probably use pleonasms a lot, and I probably have done in the episode that you've just been talking about. But at least now I know about it, uh, and I know what they're called. Great. Thank you very much for all of those. Next week will be episode 16, and it's going to be our final episode in this series. We're going to take a few weeks off just to refresh. But never fear, we'll be back in the autumn ready to dive into more of Jono's sketches. So I think what we'll do next week is a kind of a little kind of roundup highlights type podcast um, with maybe a couple of relevant sketches thrown in there as well. Something to look forward to, I'm sure. Thank you all again for listening and thank you for your correspondence. Keep it coming in. See you next week. on this podcast series is sourced from the very talented Frank Cinelli and you can find loads more tracks at frankcinelli.com <laughs>